Traveling for one of the big conference tourneys in Nashville or Minneapolis this March? Do yourself a favor. Stay at Graduate Hotels, Bridgestone Arena, Target Center. Their hotels are close to both tournament venues. So why would you stay anywhere else? I love staying at the Nashville location, and I'll be at the Minneapolis location for the Big Ten Championship. And if you're one of my listeners, you can save 30% off with the promo code DOUG. That's DOUG, D-O-U-G. Good at any Graduate Hotels location, up to 30% off. How do you do it? Really simple. Book today at graduatehotels.com. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like a full line of Redestein tires. Go to TireRack.com sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. All from TireRack.com. TireRack.com. It's the way the tire buying should be. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. This is the best of the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Boom! What up, America? Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Coming to you daily, live, from sunny Southern California. Speaking of Southern California, man, am I thrilled to be on uh, live starting tomorrow in San Diego, America's finest city, 97.3 FM, The Machine. Um, it's pretty cool, right? So now Phoenix, Seattle, Vegas, San Diego. We are in, we are encircling, ensnaring the entire West Coast here. Uh, don't worry, East Coast. We still were thinking of you in the Southeast and the Midwest. We got your back. And if you're listening to us on any of our terrestrial radio affiliates, and I get a lot of people like, what is terrestrial radio? That's like your regular radio. We are on Sirius XM Channel 83, the first two hours at least. We'll try and get that third hour on in the very near, ter- near term. We can also download the uh, iHeartRadio app, listen to us anywhere, or listen to us digitally, foxsportsradio.com. We got podcasts. We got everything you want. But uh, 
Fired up to be on in San Diego. And oh yeah, by the way, music, this part you don't know, your boy's throwing out the first pitch of the Padres game tomorrow night. Wow. Look at that. So what's interesting about that, have, have you guys ever been, invo- been involved with anybody throwing out the first pitch? I have not, no. Okay, so I've done this once before, actually with the Angels. Um, and um, uh, it's it, like the first time you do it, it's kind of nerve-wracking because everybody's like, dude, you don't want to go 50 cent, right? You don't want to throw something and look like you've never played baseball. The best part about this is I have a nine-year-old son, and I pitched to his team, although I did, there's a little kid named Mason. Sorry, Mason. I went high and tight, <laughs> hit him right in the middle of the back. Uh, Monday afternoon Man. at batting practice. And he's the one kid who's been stepping in the bucket a little bit, a little bit scared of the ball. And I was like, no, no, you're fine. And then, you know, they, they all want me to heat it up, throw a little bit harder. And one got away from me. My, my, you know, I have, I have some late movement and the late movement, he turned away from the ball and I mean, hit him square in the back. Uh, sorry, Mason, but I, I have thrown off the bump uh, probably seven or eight times at Hayes' practice, granted to a shorter shorter mound, but um, I, I, there, there'll be some heat coming out. They'll def, I'll, I'll probably, I won't be throwing Uncle Charlie, but I'll be throwing some heat tomorrow as the uh, Padres take on the Giants in San Diego. So that'll be a, a ton of fun. And I don't think, I hope, we'll, last time it was a little bit inside. I didn't airmail it. I think uh, this time I expect to throw a strike. Anyway. Fired up. Tonight's the nice last night of the NBA season, right? Isn't that right? I believe so. Last night of the NBA season, which means uh, we'll have the entire playoff picture. You heard Dan Beyer with our updates. We'll bring in Dan Beyer later on. He'll, he'll give us kind of the rundown of what exactly is at stake. The Oklahoma City Thunder are in the playoffs, and of course they can climb in terms of securing their playoff seed, make it a higher one with a win, I think it's tonight, right against, Memphis, against the Memphis Grizzlies? So, yeah, I am. I am correct, right? I heard. I, okay. And if you've seen who the Memphis Grizzlies are starting, you feel pretty good about it. Additionally, Russell Westbrook is like nineteen rebounds away from a, sixteen. Excuse me, sixteen rebounds away from averaging a triple double. Which, of course, if you've been watching recently, there have been some rebounds which are like, all right, they kind of wanted him to get those boards. Here's Russell Westbrook on some of the discussion regarding his stats. A lot of people make jokes about stat padding or going to get rebounds. If people could get 20 rebounds every night, they would. If people could get 15 rebounds, they would. People that's talking or saying whatever they need to say, they should try and do it and see how hard it is. Everybody wants to be talking and you know, I'm, I'm tired of hearing the same old rebound this, stealing rebound. Yeah, okay. I mean, like, look, I'm, I, there's, there's part of me which, which agrees with him and part of me which, which, which disagrees with him. I mean, look at the, as he, as he would even tell you, the stats don't lie, right? All right, well, the stats don't lie. He does have a ton of double-digit rebound games since the middle of February. Right? There, was a good, there was a good stretch of games there where he wasn't in February, in January, but, but by and large... He's a really good rebounding guard. Now, I don't want my guards rebounding. I just don't. I want, especially my point guard, a guy with his speed. I think one of the big flaws is that Russell Westbrook rebounds. That's a huge mistake. See, what's, what's faster than the dribble? John Ramos, if you, you coach youth soccer, but the, the, 
the emphasis in soccer and in basketball is the same, right? That a pass is faster than the dribble, is it not? Yes. Okay. And so one of the big issues that I have with Billy Donovan's coaching is why the hell is Russell Westbrook under there getting boards to begin with? He should be getting deep outlet passes. He should be between the top of the key and midcourt. And if he did so, can you imagine their fast break? He's already the, the best athlete in the league. It's not close. Best athlete in the league. But because he's catching the ball at that close, that close uh, to the basket, he has to beat four, sometimes five guys down the floor. And that hurts their transition game. That hurts his own field goal percentage. Frankly, I think that creates fewer assists for him. So while Russell Westbrook is right, it is it's hard to get 10 rebounds. I never got 10 rebounds, 10 rebounds in a game. I don't think ever. But it's also not my job to get rebounds. It's just not. It ain't my job. And um, I, I love that he's a versatile player. I love how competitive he is. But I would point out, it ain't his job. You're doing somebody else's job. Not your job. That doesn't mean you don't ever rebound. End of game, everybody rebounds. You get caught underneath switching on a big guy, you got to box out. But honestly, when you box out, you don't necessarily have to rebound. Just make sure your guy doesn't get the basketball. Long caroming rebounds, you should get it. You should collect it. But by and large, and this is a, a generalization, that ain't your job. And so part of Russell Westbrook doing somebody else's job and no one calling him on it is part of the problem. And here's the other thing. Either Russell Westbrook is the most dynamic, the most diverse player in terms of skill set that we have seen since Oscar Robertson, or, or, well, there's this other or. Or these are stats on steroids. That's all they are. And it feels to me more like the latter than the former. I, I bring this up quite often because it's an easy, it's a simple way to make my uh, explanation. Um, you go to passing yards for NFL quarterbacks. And last year was a little bit of an exception because we had so many injuries. Right? Uh, and, but the numbers were generally down in terms of 4,000 yards passers last year. There was only, oh, I, I say emphasize only eight. That's because if you look in some previous years, there were more than eight. You look at 2016 and you had 13 4,000 yard passers, 13, 13, 4,000 yard passers. Go back 15 years to 2002 and you had four, right? You had four. Now go to 2003. Look at the, 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 the fact that the stats have in fact changed, right? In 2002, you had four. In 2003, you had two 4,000-yard passers. Just two. Just two. And those two were Peyton Manning and Trent Green. Tom Brady in 2003 only threw for 3,600 yards. It's pretty, pretty amazing, right, how the NFL has changed? It started to transform itself in 2004 when we had four, excuse me, five 4,000 yard passers, but you go all the way to 2016 and we had 
13 2,000-yard passers, and Derek Carr was 14. And the only reason Derek Carr, if you remember, this is not last year, it's the previous year, didn't throw for 4,000 yards, he got hurt. He missed the last two games. So either we have way better passers than we've ever had, or if you look at the attempts, guys are attempting 600-plus passing attempts. In 2016, we had five players attempt six, attempt to pass 600 times. You go back to those stats in, uh, remember 2003? The most passes attempted were 570 by Brad Johnson, Peyton Manning, 566. With 100 more pass attempts comes, you know, 50 more completions, or if it's in this case, if it's Peyton Manning, 67 more completions, 67 more completions. When you're completing them, even at five, six yards a pop, you're going to get more yards. You're going, it's in other words, in the NFL, how we view stats have changed because of the number of plays, the number of possessions, the number of attempts, the exact same thing has happened in the NBA. And if you're not paying attention to that, and you're simply falling in love with Russell Westbrook because of the volume of points, the volume of assists you're missing out on. He dribbles, he handles the ball more. He shoots the ball more. He passes at the last second to make an assist more. And with more, more, more becomes more stats. And just like stats in um, August and September in Major League Baseball are a little bit hollow because of the September call-ups, just like stats against the Memphis Grizzlies and other tanking teams are a little bit hollow because you're playing against G League players in games in which they're trying to lose. The same can be said for Russell Westbrook. I'm not saying he's not an incredible player, but he shouldn't even be rebounding to begin with. He should be triggering their break, getting the pass, getting the outlet pass. And he's not better than all of the other guards that we've seen. He simply has a greater volume of touches. He handles the ball more, rebounds the ball more. There's more shots to rebound, more possessions, more passes, more shots, more overall ball dominance, which they call usage, high usage rate in the NBA. And you kind of create this fictitious narrative that somehow he's statistically better than anybody over the past 40 years in the NBA. And that's not accurate. It doesn't mean he's not a great player. A great, a great competitor. It just means don't use stats as your argument because you will lose based upon the fact the stats are skewed because of how the game is played. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Chris Mannix is an NBA insider for years for Yahoo Sports. Make sure you check out his new show Sundays at noon Eastern time alongside NBA champion and all-star Karan Butler here on Fox Sports Radio. Max, let, let's start with the debacle with the Warriors getting blown out by the Jazz. And I know they still don't have Steph, and they haven't been playing all of their starters' starters' minutes. But uh, it, 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 it is getting to be a little bit, kind of, is it in time to be nervous a little bit about the Warriors in the playoffs? Yeah, I, I don't know what to make of it, really. I, I will say that it's, it's fortunate that the most likely scenario is that they don't play Oklahoma City in the first round because I think that would have been the series that could have been enormously problematic if they're playing this way and they're playing without Steph Curry, not just because of the, the obvious matchups, the Quinn Cook, Russell Westbrook, but 
you know, Kevin Durant, who would have to shoulder a bigger load offensively with Curry out, going back to Oklahoma City, what's his mental mindset in, in that type of setting, the intensity of Oklahoma City, which has to be playing with kind of a, a palpable desperation right now, knowing what's at stake for maybe the future of this team. Um, I, I think they can right the ship in the first round with another matchup in front of them. Uh, but if they were playing Oklahoma City in that first round, I would have real concern about their ability to win that series. Hmm. What's your best guess on when Steph returns? Well, I think second round. Uh, and this is a lot of talking to people around that team and, and, and guesswork on that team and you know, uh, understanding Steph a little bit. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're optimistic that, that second round is, is doable. Now, what, what does he look like when he comes back? I mean, that remains to be seen. I mean, it's like you know, when, when people say you see a timeline on this stuff, they assume that that means when a guy is going to be out in the court looking like his former self. That, that's not the case at all, as you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's when the guy can resume basketball activities. From there, it's all about how his body responds to practice and, and recovery. So we'll see what he looks like. But I think the second round is a realistic uh, a timeline for Steph. All right, let, let's get to how the playoffs appear to be lining up. What, what, do, the, what do the Rockets want to have happen tonight? What, what, who wins that benefits the Rockets the most? You know, I'd rather play Denver. Um, you know, I know the Nuggets are surging at the moment, and Jokic is a problem. But you know, that is a abysmal defensive team. So you're 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 asking a team that doesn't defend to and try to outscore a team that is a great scoring team, a Mike D'Antoni coach team. I just don't see it. The, the Timberwolves are, you know, with Butler back, it's. There's way too high a ceiling there. Now, now they could get broomed out just as easily as the uh, as the Nuggets could. But when you're in Houston, you're probably looking at the least talented team, the least experienced team, maybe the lesser coached team in that situation. On paper, um, you know that's the Denver Nuggets. The Nuggets. It wouldn't surprise if they got in because I, I would imagine there are some jobs on the line in a game like like tonight. But. Um, I'd rather play them in the first round if I was Houston. Chris Mannix joining us from Yahoo Sports and Fox Sports Radio. Check out his show on uh, weekends on Sunday at 12 o'clock Eastern time on Fox Sports Radio. Um, Let's go to the East. The Cavs struggled and struggled and struggled, and then LeBron over the last month has looked like vintage LeBron for the most part, especially at the offensive end. People... Haven't paid attention to the fact that he does, as you as you point out, taking some defensive possessions off. And there are, there are you know half the teams in the league are trying to lose. That said, I I'm just struggling to find another team to lock into. Uh, Wizards looked better last night, but th- they haven't consistently looked better since John Wall's return. If not the Cavs, then who? Yeah, I, I'm still buying into the Raptors and have been. For, for a while, um, when they struggled over the last month or so, when they had that stretch of games where they went like three and four or four and five, whatever it was, uh, the problems they were dealing with were were uh, were defensive problems. And defense is a lot a lot easier for the Raptors, who have traditionally been a top flight defensive team, to clean up. If they were having offensive issues, if it was you know, we're going back to DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. We're playing, you know, alternate a shot there. I would have said that that's a team to be really concerned with because we know that that type of offensive system fails in the playoffs. They weren't dealing with that during that stretch. It was giving up a whole bunch of points. I think the defense, you know, the first couple of rounds is going to be easier for them to clean up. 
than some offensive issues were going to be. And and look, if, if you're looking at Cleveland, one one big issue I have is kind of their decision to, to effectively say we're going to try to outscore you in the playoffs by by putting Jeff Green and Kevin Love together in that front line. They're more or less saying screw it. You know, we're going to try to win. 120, 115, you know, 115, 110 every single night. I can't remember a team that did that, at least not at a really high level. Now, it's, it's, if they were in the Western Conference, you'd say, wow, they might get beat in the first round. Not the case in the East, but you just, if you're just going to try to outscore teams in the postseason, it just very rarely works, and I can't see it working this time around, no matter how great LeBron is. Um, you, you talked a little bit about Oklahoma city and I look at Russell Westbrook and the, look, the averaging a triple double for a second straight year, which is a distinct possibility, especially against the Grizzlies. Yep. All he needs is 16, been padding those stats a little bit. Um, it, it's an amazing feat, but how much of it is Russell Westbrook being awesome? And how much of it is look, stats are skewed because there's such a much higher volume of possessions considering the way in which basketball is played. I mean, I hate the, the hedge, but it is a little bit of both. I mean, down the stretch, as you said, some of the stat padding that, that he does both at the end of games and at the end of the season, um, you know, that plays a pretty significant role. But, man, he, you know, he, he's awesome. Like, he, he really is awesome out there uh, on the floor. The, the problem Westbrook has is that, you know, th- this team hasn't really improved despite all the – the, the upgrades they've made this past uh, this, this past off season they're, they're going to finish with right around the same number of wins and and kind of the same type of team and enter the postseason which you know I, I've I've said for a while now Doug this is the most important uh, postseason of Russell Westbrook's career it's more important than what happened in 2012 it's more important than what happened uh, a couple of years ago against Golden State if they flame out in the first round the, the chances that Paul George walks ratchets up exponentially. And then what is Oklahoma City for the next five years, the prime of Russell's career? They're probably a team that claws their way you know, into the playoffs, maybe squeezes it to the second round every year. If they win a couple of rounds, Paul George might be more likely to stay, and all of a sudden your team is adding on to a potential championship contender uh, every single year. So I-, I can't imagine the stakes for any player this postseason being higher than what they are for Russell Westbrook. Last night, I thought it was Donovan Mitchell wearing a sweatshirt that I think Adidas made for him is brilliant about, you know, the definition of what a rookie is. And look, I've been on, I don't know, it's a little bit of a bandwagon all year saying I think Ben Simmons has had the better year, is the better all-around player, uh, but he's a redshirt rookie, and I don't know, there, there is no... Uh, first year player of the year award or newcomer of the year award like there is in some college basketball conferences. Instead, it's all called rookie of the year. And Blake Griffin has won it, even though he redshirted with injury his first right. year. Where do you come down on, on the debate? Well, you know, it's one of those debates that, that, that doesn't really consume a lot of brain space for me. Like it's, it's the NBA rule, and I've kind of always kind of nodded my head at it. I will say this. What Mitchell said about it, and you know Mitchell better than I do. I spent some time with him a couple of weeks ago. Uh, did a podcast with him and hung out with him for a couple of days. He's a really intelligent kid. And like one of the things he said was that I found interesting uh, the other night was he made the the comparison to a student taking an exam on June first and having a few weeks to study versus an entire season to study for. Which one would be better prepared uh, for that exam? Using the example, of course, Ben Simmons having a whole year off to prepare for this season, and he makes a valid point. I mean, Ben, C- ben uh, Simmons was more prepared for this season in every possible way than Donovan Mitchell was, so can he really be called 
a rookie. I mean, I, I, at this point, I'd be okay with the NBA changing the rule and saying it's got to be your first year in the league. Now, if you go overseas, if you do what Dario Saric did, you can still be considered a rookie. But if you're on an NBA roster, regardless of the amount of minutes you played, uh, you should that should be considered your rookie of the year uh, for award purposes. Yes, but based upon how, like you, you'd have to go and reset the award, and based on how the how it is termed now. It doesn't matter, right? So now it right. should be Ben Simmons, even if you feel like Donovan Mitchell is the only true rookie. Is, is oh, that, yeah. Is I mean, it, look, I, I, I'm a voter, and I'm going to vote for Ben Simmons for the next couple of days. I, 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 when I went out to, to Utah, one of the things, reasons I went there, Doug, was because you know, not every voter, I think, knows what they're talking about. And, and there have been some, some biblically bad takes on Donovan Mitchell the last couple of months. Like, you know, like he hasn't done it all season long. Well, you know that's dumb. Well, it's it's Rudy Gobert that spearheaded this effort. Well, or this last you know two months of play. Well, that's true. But Gobert doesn't score. Mitchell does. Um, I just didn't think people were, were were understanding really the type of season. Now they are now, but over the last couple of weeks, I didn't think people were understanding the type of season Mitchell was having. Um, but it, there's no question in my mind. It, it was a tough debate for a while. But you know Ben Simmons for all he's done, plus what he's done the last couple of weeks with Joel Embiid out, I think that's really cemented his place. Um, last thing, how big a buyer are you into the 76ers? I'm not because, uh, I think if it's, if it's Miami, they play in the first round. I, I think they get beat. Um, not can get beat. I think they do because I think when you give a great coach, uh, one team to focus on in the playoffs, um, they're going to exploit your weaknesses. And for all of Ben Simmons greatness, he has one enormous weakness. Markel Fultz, huge weakness. I mean, they've got a limited number of, of perimeter players out there, and if Joel Embiid is is limited or not able to play, you know certain games, um, I think that's that, that's going to be a problem. In Miami, you know, they they just play hard, man. I mean, they play hard every single night. They're physical. They're less talented than Philadelphia, but the game slows down a lot in the playoffs, and it comes down to offensive execution in the playoffs. I think Miami can execute better offense than Philly is right now, and those weaknesses of the 76ers are going to get exploited. Chris Mannix from Yahoo Sports and Fox Sports Radio. Dude, this is going to be awesome. Uh, just keep your cell phone on because we want to have you on as often as possible. Now that you're under our wing, um, <laughs> any time you want to pop on, um, we'd love to have you on. In the meantime, keep up the great work, and we'll, we'll hear you on Sunday. You got it, man. Appreciate it. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. Jerry Jones can even do the it's not you, it's me thing. Look, this is not, we don't think any less of you as a player. This is about salary structure and where you fit in our salary cap. And this is our problem, not your problem, but your problem. Be- but, but our problem becomes your problem because we got to fit you in our salary slot and scale. I tend to agree. And um, I also, I don't love the idea that people have found out that there's a meeting. Who has to do that anymore? Who has to set up a meeting? Like, this doesn't have to be a showdown at the OK Corral. Like, just get in your car and go over to Dez's house or have Dez come in, like, unannounced. Like, hey, man, why don't you just come into the, come and text him, come into the facility. Because now it feels like it's for show. And that, I, I don't think that always ends that usually doesn't end that well because now it gives Des a chance to kind of lead up and get super emotional and super, you know, instead you just, you want to have a conversation. Here's where we are. Knowing where we are, where are you mentally? Are you willing to pay, take a pay cut? Do you really want to leave Dallas? 
do you really want to leave Dallas? That's what this kind of comes down to for me. And um, I just, I, I don't see any way in which he walks out of that meeting as a cowboy with his salary intact or a salary with making nearly the money that he was making before he walked in. It's actually perfect for this, uh, this read. The road ahead is bound to take some unexpected turn, turns. Farmers Insurance can help you understand your coverage option with our practical knowledge gained from more than 90 years of experience. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. Find an agent at Farmers.com. We are Farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Yes, Ryan Music. So let's say Dez, in fact, won't take a pay cut, so he ends up getting cut by the Cowboys. Is Dez one of those players that you think will go the way of he's just washed up and we will never see the Dez that we once saw? Or will he take that as motivation and totally reassess who he is as a player with whatever new team he signs with and he's back to being like a top five receiver in the game for the next two or three seasons? Well, I don't think he's ever going to be a top five. I I, I just I don't think it's not like he's he has some like secret gummy berry juice that he's going to drink and start <laughs> bouncing off the walls the way he used to. Um, do, do, like, look, do I think he could change his body and change his game some and evolve? Yeah. I, I kind of, you know who, you know who Des reminds me of? Um, there's, there's an Iverson kind of quotient. There's an Iverson comp to him, right? Like Iverson just, he couldn't, he tried that one year, he tried to pass the ball more and average like seven assists a game or something, maybe more, but he could just never be anything more than who he was. Like what Larry Fitzgerald has done, the, the transformation in his game, there, there's a reason most guys haven't been able to do that. It's just hard mentally. You're just hardwired. Des Bryant has been hardwired to, when I'm out wide, if I got one-on-one, throw it up, I'll go get it. And now you have a quarterback who's not, they didn't come up together. There's not the bond. I don't think he's as good as Tony Romo to begin with. And Des Bryant isn't nearly what he used to be. And so he's out there one-on-one and Dak's sitting there going like, man, you don't win nearly as much as you did before. They threw it to him a lot last year. A lot. A lot, a lot. Uh, here's, here's what I want you to do, music. There's, there's, there's an ass- assumption from some in the media that Des Bryant wasn't targeted enough last year, right? That, that boy, they need to get... And I, I even heard Romo talking about, man, they, they really need to work on getting the ball out to, to Des Bryant. And in comparison to some of the best wide receivers in the league, you know, yeah. I mean, Mike Evans had more targets. He also had more catches. Two more catches, two more targets. Had 170 more yards receiving. Like, that's substantial. That's substantial. Demarius Thomas played with clearly inferior quarterback play. He had eight more targets, eight more targets, and he had 14 more catches. Adam Thielen had 10 more targets, but he had uh, 22 more receptions. And he had 1,276 yards receiving as opposed to Des Bryant, only 838 yards receiving. So, like, look, the, the numbers just, they don't lie there. Golden Tate had a better year last year with fewer targets than Des Bryant. Travis Kelsey, who's a tight end, better year last year with fewer targets. There's dramatic drop-off in 
his production in comparison to his production in the past. And there isn't a dramatic drop off in terms of targets to him is in the past. So I just, I don't know if I, I don't know. I don't believe that Dez can be a number two or a slot guy, or I, I just don't think he has the desire and maybe the aptitude to do it. Physical ability. He should be able to be like Anquan Bolden as a blocker. He's incredibly strong. And I do think that he's a more intelligent dude on the football field than people would lead, would lead you to believe. But I do think there's some injury issues. He's never been a great route runner, and he kind of is what he is. Which led Iverson to being out of the NBA early, which may lead Des to being out of the NFL early. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Uh, Ray, thanks so much for taking time with us. There's a lot I want to get into. Um, there's some back and forth with you and some of the for- former Celtics. Uh, I want to ask your thoughts on playing with LeBron James, the winning championships with the Celtics and the Heat. But let me, there, there's been a lot of discussion up until I think the start of this year when you're finally like, look, I'm out. I, I don't, I don't want to come back. How, how, what was the closest you came to coming back and playing the past couple of years? Um, I wasn't that close. Uh, I never really officially talked to anybody and, you know, maybe visited a team. I know there was speculation on teams thinking that they wanted to bring me in. Uh, other than that, there was nothing real official. Um, I, I was actually, you know, wondering if, somebody was going to like woo me to get off the couch. Other than that, it was like, there was no like serious offers made. So I just kind of went about my business. Uh, Let's, let's, let's start more at the beginning. What I think many people miss uh, about you is you had a unique upbringing, right? Being, being a military brat, um, you move place to place to place. And I was always told kind of basketball was your refuge in that, you know, look, it's, it's hard when you're a kid. My kids have moved. It's hard in terms of establishing relationships. How, how much of being a military brat, uh, you know, being born on an Air Force base and, and moving around, how much of that made you, drove you to basketball because it, it brought a sense of normalcy? Well, it wasn't just basketball because when you grew up on a military base, you, you, uh, you play everything. Like, you have the ability to... You know, we all have a youth center that all the kids have the option to use. Um, and through the youth center, you sign up for basketball, baseball, soccer, football. And every sport, you know, when one the, the championship game ends, you know, you crown a winner. And then the next sport may start two weeks, a week, two weeks later. So, you know, you would be friended uh, or paired with your teams or your friends on certain teams. And sometimes you play against them in different sports. So... I had the availability to play everything, and that's what I always try to teach my kids to, especially when they're at young ages, to allow their muscles to develop so they can um, let ultimately let the sport choose them. So, you know, for me being in the military, you know, sports in general was my refuge because I knew that if I competed, you know, what kid is not like on the playground that wins? You know, so for me, I just went out there and you competed and you won. And then, you know, I wasn't the kid that got picked last at anything. Um, Jim Calhoun is is somebody that I know helped uh, help form you as a basketball perennial all-star, a 10-time NBA all-star, and a surefire Hall of Famer. Um, 
But he had it kind of, I always was marveled at the fact that kind of like I played Freddie Sutton at Oklahoma State and, and he would do some similar things where he wouldn't coach everybody the same. He understood how to get more out of certain players and he was somebody who kind of privately challenged you, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, he privately did it and he publicly did it. You know, nothing <laughs> embarrassing, but, um, you know, in front of the, the guys, it's one thing to to learn how to coach everybody uh, singularly, but you got to know how to coach the group as a whole, and there's got to be accountability to everybody, and he did a great job of that. So we all knew that we were held to the same standards, but he didn't have to berate me or yell at me or you know do anything crazy because he knew how to motivate me. He knew I wanted to be great. He knew I wanted to do more, and so he would always know how to push my buttons in small little ways, and ultimately that is you know, great coaching for me because then the, the, my teammate, he had to yell out a little bit and that got him to be, and they, you know, you just used to dealing with different personalities, different ways. But when we screwed up as a team, we all had to run. It wasn't like, you know, he gave me special considerations because I was the lead scorer of the team. Yeah, I, I think that's the, the one thing I've always, I've found remarkable about your career and how it's contextualized now is, I think people remember because the shot you hit in Miami, because of all the shots you hit in Boston, I do think that people and and you tell me if I'm wrong. I do think people seem to forget that you were a dominant scorer in Milwaukee with a really good team in Seattle. He averaged what, 26 and a half a game um, and and led the league in in scoring when you're when you were in Seattle, like because you 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 change your roles later in your career to win championships and became more of a you know defender and shooter instead of you know an all-around scorer so sometimes it it has diminished a little bit the all-around scoring game that you had is that is that a fair assumption nowadays we we look at in front of us like you see you know the the kids now that talk about who the best players of all times are cuz you forget who uh, did it back in the day, who did it 10 years ago, who did it 20 years ago. And the conversation is always going to change. And, you know, when I lived in Seattle, my last, the last like 30 games of the season, I was averaging somewhere around 28 points a game. And then I got hurt and I was in and out a couple games and it went down to 26. So I was scoring in different ways. And the kids, you know, I was, you're, you're playing on the West Coast. So when the game ends on the West Coast, people are deep into sleep. You know, my mom was on the East Coast, and she barely finished a lot of games, but she stayed up for most of them. So until I get to Boston, you know, I'm not on primetime TV. Boston, all of a sudden, I've become this well-known guy. For some people, they thought I just was drafted because it's like he just came out of nowhere. But I've been in the NBA up at this point for 12 years. And so, you know, people, for the most part, forget that. So once I got to Boston, I, in order for me to win, and, you know, myself, Paul, and Kevin, we knew that we had scored a bunch of points. We had made an all-star teams, and we were making great money. But in order for us to win, we had to restructure how we thought about the game of basketball, and we had to allow this help. So we had to win on the team's terms and not on the terms of us as the individual and think about, I, I got to score, I still got to score the most points. And that's the issue that you see with a lot of guys when they're forming these super teams. Are they willing to sacrifice and take less so they can win more. Okay, so so take me back to that. That's you know it's it's 2007, 
And uh, you you came off an incredible season, right? You broke uh, Dennis Scott's ten um, year old record for three point field goals made in a season. Then you have you have ankle surgery, and you get you get traded to the Boston Celtics. They acquire you to go with Pierce and Kevin Garnett. Um, what well, when you first walked in the locker room for training camp the next year? What was it like? You know, everybody was uh, excited. Uh, training camp started in Rome that, that year, which was probably one of the best things uh, for us. Um, I think that every team should go away from training camp uh, because it gets us out of our local market, the distractions. You know, if I stay home during training camp, I'm going to typically want to go home and see my family on a day that I have off or in between practices or whatever it may be. But we were in Rome. We couldn't do that. So we we had to learn each other quickly. So it was great that the NBA had us going to Rome to play against the Raptors in Rome. So we had, you know, the time, the downtime. We were in the hotel. We were sitting outside. We couldn't sleep. We were uh, walking through the city. Like, we were doing so much that allowed us to kind of catch up on time lost so we can get on the same page. And, you know, so everybody knew that they had a particular skill set that could help the team. And uh, those days uh, away from the distraction and being in the in, – you know what? We come home to the media circus. We were great, or in Rome and getting acquainted with each other. Doug Gottlieb show Fox Sports Radio. The, the book is from outside my journey through life and the game that I love. The author is the great Ray Allen. He's kind enough to spend some time with us here on Fox Sports Radio. Um, you write about that trip and you talk about the fact that. KG didn't like you dribbling, that KG's personality was a little bit prickly and that he always kind of wanted to one-up people, even, you know, demanding that, that he pay tabs because he tipped better. Um, what, what do you remember distinctly about trying to understand his personality and how to fit in with that team? Well, it, it, I think early when we got together, um, you got to remember me being in the Seattle locker room and him being in Minnesota – we basically, we're the alpha dog in the locker room, and we're the ones that, you know, speak during the huddles. We're the ones that, you know, make decisions or help the coach and, you know, do so many different things. So you're used to telling young people, you know, okay, this is what we need to do, and everybody, we need to come play tonight, and, you know, everybody needs to bring their game. Like, now you're you're in the locker room with, with, with three alpha dogs, and you're still used to your same protocols and how you were – because you had young players. So now we had to figure out how to uh, adjust and get along with each other where you respect each other's space. And it was that incident that I talk about in my book where I was dribbling and he didn't want me to dribble. You know, and it was almost like he was, like, telling me, you're not, you, you know, you, you can't dribble in a locker room. And I was like, well, damn, dude, I'm, I've been, this is how I prepare. You do how you do and I do how I do. And what I learned quickly is, the compromises that have to be made um, in order to get to that that same page level. You know, if you don't make those compromises, if I sit here and we're just having this pissing contest, then we're in for a long year, and it, it explodes. And we see that a lot around professional sports because egos aren't, aren't willing to go away. That's what w- was for us. We learned that it's, th- there's no ego. We have ego to help this team win, and, you know, we do less and that's going to help the team more. And that, that was those small little lessons to teach people. And even players in this league today, 
like sign up with a team and 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 you know to bring a new player in that's an all star like be ready to sacrifice more than you ever did so that player can do more for you and help you win. But but Ray, you 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 know like that. Like, look, you as a as a grown up, as somebody who won championships, you, you're speaking the absolute truth. But the other, the part to it that so many of these guys don't really understand is like they've always been the star, especially now how we create these AU teams where, you know, I've always been the guy. And if I'm not the guy, I go to a team where I am the guy. And if I go to college, I'm only going to go to college for a year to which I can be the guy. And then you go to an NBA team and uh, though you're not ready to be the guy, you only want to go to an NBA team where you're the, so it's. Like it sounds, everyone says like, I want to win, but are you willing to sacrifice, you know, like you did, like averaging 10 less points a game to win a championship? There are not a lot of people that are willing, they are like, yeah, I want to win a championship, but I, I, I want to still play my game. I want to still get my shots, get my touches, get my minutes. Like it sounds really good, but the use or, or what Chris Paul's doing this year, that's the exception. The norm is guys think they can still be them only just add their superpowers to the superpowers of others. Yeah, and to your point, you know, you look at the transfers in college, you know, from schools because things didn't go their way. It's like the parents are letting their kids off the hook, and that's where it's starting because there's this entitlement that kids think that the coach didn't play me enough or I just didn't like the way things went, so I want to transfer. And that behavior starts with the parents at home, and then it grows and it continues all the way if that kid is fortunate enough to make it to the NBA. But the one thing I will say is, yeah, you're right. But if you're not willing to sacrifice, then you'll never win anything. That's what winning is all about. Winning is your ability to be a part of a team and win on the team's terms. Like, yeah, you, you'll make the all-star team, and yeah, you'll score points. But what, at the end of the day, do you want, do you want to retire from the game of basketball and never have felt what it feels like to hoist that trophy up. Because every player that's played in, in any sport watches every championship game in every sport. And you admire, you envy, you, 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 you're jealous of that team that's winning because you, you know you want that feeling. But you have to get out of your own way. Like You have to use your talents for the good of the team and not for the good of your individual skill set. Like, it's not about winning the championship. It's not about making an all-star team. It's not about making more money. It's about you doing your job for that particular team. And then when you win, then you have that discussion. But while you're there, you have to figure out what you need to help that team out. And if you can do that, then you put yourself on course, on track to win. But for the most part, you'll, you'll see why guys ultimately don't win, because they're not willing to sacrifice. Um, why did it end so poorly with you and Rondo and 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 that crew. Um. Well, Doug, I, I signed a contract uh, with another team. Uh, once I knew, um, you know, as I was having conversations with the organization, and they weren't, you know, you know, moving in the direction that I had hoped that we would move in and to be successful, then it was time for me to move on. And I knew it, and uh, you know, I, I had a conversation, you know, with. Uh, with Danny Ainge, and I said, you know, there's certain things that, you know, we need to improve on, you know, around our offense, you know, specifically. And, uh, you know, he was like, I, 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 I agree with you. I wish I could disagree with you, but I agree with you, and I'll take it, you know, back to the coach and see what he says. And then what came back was I need, just like I just said, and it worked against me, he said, you need to do what 
we need you to do as a team. If you want to be a part of this, if not, then you need to move on. So that was my, those were my marching papers because at the end of the day, if you're not going to, I want to win too, but I see the things that we need to improve on. And if we're not, if you're not going to address those so we can improve on them, then, you know, you've, you've made my decision for me. Right, because because the way in which it's it's painted, it's painted that you chose to leave a championship team. But but the truth is that you guys were aging. They had they had started to bring you off the bench. They had changed your role, and um and and so so it's it's not like you guys had just come off a championship and you decide to leave and go to the Heat. There was a lot of other kind of um, ancillary issues that went with the decision, more so than just I want to leave this team and I'll go to a competitive a competing team. Fair. Doug, I'm 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 New England through and through. You know, I still live in Connecticut. You know, that was my home. I didn't want to go anywhere, and I think that played against me. So when it came time to negotiate contract, I was the guy that they left the least amount for. So by the time I get ready to go uh, or to negotiate, you know, it, there's there's little to no room, uh, wiggle room whatsoever. So once. You know, based on all the conversations about the future of the team and then contractually, you the writing is on the wall. Okay, so my tenure is up as a Boston Celtic. It's time for me to move on. So once I move on, now I have to figure out where I'm moving on to. That's the, how the process worked. So my choices were the Clippers, the Miami Heat, Minnesota Timberwolves, and the Memphis Grizzlies. Those were the four teams that were interested in my services. In that same breath, the Clippers then just signed Jamal Crawford. So right. then I had I was down to three, and this is how fast free agency works. On June first, teams start contacting you and telling you, "Hey, we love to have you come in and visit. We love to have you on our team, and that's what we do." Now by June, July third, you can start yeah. signing contracts. So as guys are signing contracts, I got three teams now that are telling me they're interested in me. That I have to figure out, you know, what's going to be the best situation for me. So. That's how you ultimately end up deciding because free agent happened so fast. And once ties were basically severed between the team that I was hoping that I was going to stay with, then you figure what's the best option moving forward. So you play with Miami Heat, with Miami Heat, and with LeBron James. What was what's the give, give me the difference in locker room tone, in leadership style, in you know the the composition, the big three. How what how was it in Miami as opposed to how it was in Boston? Well, I mean, you, you see the same similarities and you know routines and, and habits. Guys getting in and, and doing what they need to do with the consistencies. Um, the, the as long as we were in Boston, we had a lot more in the roster. Uh, so um, the, I think I think it was tougher. For Spolstra in um, in Miami, because you got Mike Miller. Like, how do you decide to play at all those guys? You know, with you know, at some point uh, throughout the last couple of years. Um, so you see, those are all the same similarities between you know all those you know both teams that I've played on. And, uh, you know, same thing, just small little uh, philosophical differences defensively, different words, but, you know, still the same stuff. Uh, the the shot you hit against the Spurs, I mean, like, again, like, there's a lot of things you accomplished. I mean, 
you, you, you won a gold medal, you know, you won two NBA championships with, you know, one with the Boston Celtics, one of the two most iconic franchises in the sport, but you have one of arguably the top 10 moments, maybe in the history of the NBA. Um, I know you practiced that shot probably 10,000 times and that you were somebody who people emulate in that you, you would lay on the floor and get up and run back to the three point line. You knew exactly where you're supposed to be. But what do you what are what are your recollections of that shot, Game Six, NBA Finals? Uh, my recollection is really just I thank God that it, you know I'm on the right side of uh, this whole conversation as opposed to we say or talk about how I didn't make it and you know my life has been hell since then and I can't go anywhere, my kids can't go anywhere. I'm glad I'm not having that conversation, of course. Um, but what I do think about is the reason that I'm, we're not having that conversation is because I was afraid of that. You know, my whole career, you know, once I started playing deep in the playoffs, I was so, like, afraid of being the guy that let his team down and, and the guy that people are talking about, you know, is the reason why the team lost. You know, turning the ball over, missing a free throw. So I would go into the gym, you know, and just – kind of do everything possible to, to get my body prepared. Like, I was obsessive, you know, when it came to, to lifting my legs. I needed to have the lift of my legs at any given time. I needed to make sure that I pushed my body into different places, you know, so I can rely on it. You know, the fourth quarter is when it's winning time. And, like, I put myself up against any anybody in the fourth quarter because I knew that my body was going to stand up. You know, even when everybody else was getting tired, the game wore on, the fatigue was setting in. But I was training myself for those fourth-quarter moments. All the running I've done, you know, whenever I traveled throughout the year, I would, you know, leave the hotel, go to the health club or run in the cities when I got in. I would bring my bike with me at times, and I'd ride through the city. Like, I always believed that I was doing things that other people weren't doing because when that time came in the fourth quarter, I was going to be able to stand up and, and endure longer than everybody else was going to be able to. Uh, last thing, um, Michael or LeBron? You obviously played against Michael. You played with LeBron, and I know they're different. And I know it's an it's an impossible it's it's an impossible comparison to those of us who who know and love ball because they're two completely different players. But it's still the the debate that maybe only you can settle, Michael or LeBron. Pick one. Yeah, yeah, because I, I certainly have spanned the uh, the decades uh, and, and played against both of them. Um, what what I will say is <clears throat> the generations. You know, I said this a little bit earlier. Like, you know, we're nostalgic about the people that helped grow us up, and you know, now the kids are growing up, and they, you know, there's questions like, how good was Michael Jordan? Like, you know, 15 years ago, that was never a question because these people that were growing up understood it and they seen him real time you know they seen him in games it wasn't just highlights everybody picked out the good stuff but you could see highlights in this stuff all the time uh lebron is he'll go down as you know the most dominant player in his generation but what i've seen you know eye to eye face value you know lebron is a, a, a incredible player to stop he's dominant but what i've seen in mj was MJ did not have a weakness at all. Like all the players that played against him, we tried to do whatever we can. The Knicks tried to beat him up. 
Uh, you try to keep the ball out of his hands a lot of times, but whenever he got it, it was incredible what things that he could do with it. And, you know, I, you know, me personally, you know, I, I say MJ is, is the best of all times. Um, and, you know, the game has changed. It's not about statistics. Um, it's just about the, 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 when you look at a player and what they are capable of doing on the floor, you know, the, the, from the three point line to mid range to post up to the free throws, to the defensive end, like you just, you kind of throw all that into play. And, you know, I think, you know, MJ was hands down, uh, leaps above everybody else in the league. Ray Allen, the new book is My Journey Through Life and the Game That I Love. It's available on Amazon. One of the all-time greats. Won two NBA championships, a gold medal, and a surefire Hall of Famer. Ray, I'm, I'm so happy that you found happiness in retirement and that you're letting other people read about your, your basketball life and your journey. Thanks for joining us on Fox Sports Radio. Doug, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Traveling for one of the big conference tourneys in Nashville or Minneapolis this March? Do yourself a favor. Stay at Graduate Hotels, Bridgestone Arena, Target Center. Their hotels are close to both tournament venues. So why would you stay anywhere else? I love staying at the Nashville location, and I'll be at the Minneapolis location for the Big Ten Championship. And if you're one of my listeners, you can save 30% off with the promo code DOUG. That's DOUG, D-O-U-G. Good at any Graduate Hotels location, up to 30% off. How do you do it? Really simple. Book today at graduatehotels.com. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast.